Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino. I'm joined here by our host and star of this show, Jim Colonel. This is the arms race, episode 431. Before we come on with Jim, I know he wants to start our show off with a quote today. Um, want to just thank Jaw Bats, our newest sponsor. RVG at checkout gives you uh, gets you a good percentage off not only their great maple finished bats, which Tanner's using my son, both lefty and righty, the M110 model. Jeff Fry had a double down in spring training with his model, uh, but it gets you a percentage off on all their apparel. Uh, very well-made bats. I couldn't recommend it more highly. Also want to thank the 65,000, almost, we're 200 away right now, should be there by midweek. Uh, just want to thank them for supporting us with our two awards, with the Sports Podcast Group and the Webbies for Baseball Podcast of the Year, and also Millions, our newest marketing partner. Uh, they're going to be taking in the the number of companies, businesses that want to get involved with what we're doing at Real Voices of the Game and all of our podcasts, uh, specifically the arms race here today. So Jim, welcome back to your show. It's great to have you. I know we have tons of dialogue throughout the week and uh, I'm, uh, I'm anxious to get to today's show, but you wanted to start us off with a quote today. Is it, is it are we jumping in too quick to- Yeah, to let me to- just ask, did I hear you correctly that your podcasts were voted, uh, nominated or voted as podcast of the year? Is that correct? We weren't. We did not win the award yet. If we do win it, everybody's going to get get to keep their awards, unlike what ESPN had to do, give them all back there. But um, we've been nominated for both of those. So if I misspoke, I apologize. Nominated for that award for both of those uh, podcast groups. So and it's all of our podcasts. It's it's all fourteen shows on the network. I entered them collectively uh, because we're one big one big happy we are family, right? Like the Pittsburgh Pirates there. Well, that's very cool. And, uh, you know, if the, if you get nominated for an Oscar, that's a big thing in Hollywood. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that um, I'm grouped in with the 14 because um, I wouldn't be able to tell my lovely wife and children that I was nominated and, and won an award as best podcast of the year. So I'm glad I'm one of the 14 somewhere in the background. <laughs> uh, we're all we're all uh, we got some great shows and all the shows complement each other so well. <laughs> And, and hopefully, I don't, it didn't. It didn't affect my household at all when I let everybody know. I got a little shrug and like, eh. Um, so hopefully, you have a better. It has a better impact on your house when you tell. Uh, them more like, it. really, Dad? Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we'll let that go at this point. Yeah. yeah. So you, you, we, we went, we went back and forth. Mm-hmm. I love the video or the uh, the shots you send me throughout the week, where I can watch, I can get a visual of what you're you're trying to get across through words your pitching intellect is second to none so sometimes i need the pictures to to help make sense cuz i'm on the other side but i'm a hitter so i i liked when i saw pitching pitching issues pitching mistakes so but share with us uh Share with us the quote you wanted to start today with. Yes, um, I, I thought uh, before I give you the quote, let me. I gave some thought to this. I always try to, uh, as my lovely wife has told me, put pen to paper. So when when I'm working out or swimming or doing anything, I kind of have some creative thoughts. And and I thought um, this podcast kind of kind of turned the paradigm a little bit. We've always spoken about our concern and my concern about what youth pitchers see, read, hear, and what they're being taught. So, uh, you know, as I said, periodically during the week, I, I go through articles and I check and what 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 people in baseball are saying about the game and about pitching. So uh, I'm going to kind of label this podcast. What do they see? OK, and, and what do they see? Mean the people in the room, what do they see and what are they saying 
and how that directly impacts what we've said before, what youth pitchers see, read, and hear are being taught. Okay. So let, let me start with this quote um, because I, um, I, I, I did a lot of digging this week and read some articles, and I like to do some digging, get some facts, couple it with my observations, and then ask, ask questions, right? That's how we learn. We ask questions, and hopefully we can be informed one way or another. So here's the quote I saw when I was researching some pitching injuries and pitchers and, and analytic studies and, and biomechanic studies. So the quote said, Pitching a baseball is a series of complex, multifaceted movements that produce high forces throughout the entire kinetic chain. In order to handle these high forces, pitchers must attempt, I will underline, must attempt to minimize forces to the shoulder and elbow through proper, proper pitching mechanics. Okay, that's a quote. So Dave, here's my observation, right? Once again, based on just research and my experience and just watching and looking at athletes in general. Anybody could maybe make the same observation. But after studying the biomechanic movements of different athletes and working with hundreds of football, basketball, and baseball players over the last 15 to 20 years, my observation is, uh, and my opinion, uh, based on my observation, is that for every single athlete in the universe, and I do mean the universe, it is vital that they move and use their bodies effectively and efficiently, and above all, athletically, which means with balanced stability to create power to minimize, minimize forces on their bodies to reduce their risk of injury. Let's put aside maximize their performance, right? And so for you golfers out there, I'll just ask, how's your back? Okay. Um, so I believe what I just said represents sound fundamental reasoning. And I believe that it's, a log it's logical to include pitchers in this universe of athletes. I would assume that's correct, right? I think that's um, a big misnomer too. Like I, I saw something on Greg Maddox uh, the other day about, you know, the, the secret behind his, his gold gloves. And he kept reinforcing to the person asking the question, I'm an athlete. I was a shortstop in high school. I defend my position like an, uh, like a shortstop. Uh, I expect that every time a ball is hit to me, it's an out. And uh, people often, I, I think that's gotten lost where for some reason, um, whether it's spoken or unspoken, pitches are an athlete. But I, I, the golf, the golf uh, analogy. Explain that more when you say ask a golfer how their back is. What do you mean oh, by that? Just, <laughs> that was, you know, if, if anybody's played golf, and I, you know, I take lessons. I've played golf. Um, the the the, you know, for the pitcher, it's it's the shoulder and elbow. It's the lat, right? For the golfer, it's the back. Um, it's it's the it's the proper use of of, of uh, and creating kinetic timing and the proper use of your lower half. Um, so that you don't wind up in the hospital um, in traction. Um, and I know I have several friends who have abused their bodies playing golf and, you know, swing as hard as they can and are not concerned about their kinetic timing and, and creating the proper, not perfect, because I've heard this term before with pitching. There's no perfect pitching motion. It's not about perfect. It's about proper. And it's about, once again, the attempt to create a proper or close to proper throwing motion as you can. There's nothing in life that's perfect. That doesn't dissuade you or shouldn't dissuade you from attempting to create a motion or any, any, anything you're doing 
to be as good as you can and to create a fundamental, in this case, a fundamental motion uh, that, uh, as the um, definition said, minimizes the forces on your shoulder and elbow. So that was just an example. I was trying to be a little glib with the golfer, but, um, you know, that's the issue with golfers. Um, And, you know, and I don't want to jump ahead, but, you know, that's not the only issue and that's not the only cause. We talked about many factors, which we will I will get into in a few minutes. Um, But I will say this, right, Um, based upon all the countless articles and comments that I have read over the years, many, many, many about from uh, general managers, from coaches, from pitching coaches, from pitchers, all the way down the line, right there, and this, and also includes biomechanics studies and analysts and and and, and doctors, and you you put them all in the same hopper. There appears to be no general consensus or agreement as to how and why pitching mechanics impact arm injuries. Right? They all talk about pitching mechanics. To me, nobody's identified what that means and what the problem is. If they even think there's a problem, right? So they all appear to, and and I've heard this comment many times, they all appear to just throw up their hands in the air. And it's kind of like, you know, my good friend, Joe Madden says groupthink. And they all offer, hey, that's pitching. Injuries happen. Meaning that, um, and this has been said many times, as I referenced in this definition, throwing a baseball is the most violent motion in sports with tremendous force and stress being placed on the intricate puzzles, puzzle of your ligaments and tendons and muscles, which hold the shoulder and elbow together. So, hey, what do you expect? It happens, right? Um, And I found this interesting, and I always look to pitchers and and what they say after they've been injured. So Walker Bueller, after his second elbow injury, which led to his second Tommy John surgery, uh, the article I read, he was quoted saying, it is what it is. Okay. We often hear that expression a lot. It is what it is. Happens, stuff happens in the game. A lot of guys in this clubhouse have dealt with stuff with their elbows. It's part of the game. So once again, there's that expression. It's part of the game. It happens. It's like, hey, you're driving down the highway. You're, you're going to get in an accident. You're driving 100 miles an hour. Stuff happens, right? So I kind of shake my head and go, I, I, I don't agree. Okay. Um, Sounds like learned helplessness. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't understand that comment. I don't understand that general comment that says stuff happens. Um, everything in life um, is a risk, right? You know, we're, we're looking to, and I don't want to re-harp on this, and, and, but I, it, it's important to reemphasize. It's all about mitigation. What can I do to mitigate the risk? Okay, general manager years ago said, and I read a quote somebody shared with me, we're going to get rid of Tommy John surgery. We're going to eliminate it. I don't know whether that's going to happen or not, but the goal at this point is to mitigate Tommy John surgery, is to mitigate shoulder surgeries. It's to mitigate the hours and millions of hundreds of dollars lost on the IL. If I was an owner, that would be my goal. My my one goal to my troops would go, how are we going to mitigate arm injuries? So at the end of the season, if we're the Tampa Bay Rays or we're the X, Y, and Z team, and I'm not throwing Tampa Bay under the bus here, our pitches are healthy so we can win in the playoffs. Because I'm assuming that's why they play the game. To be in the playoffs and win the World Series, 
not go, hey, we had a good run, but we lost 15 pitches this year. Hey, that's baseball. Um, I don't understand that at all from a business perspective, right? So not to get off at a tangent. No, so, it's all important, I think. I, I I sometimes wonder as I watch, you know, the I think we, we got close to a billion dollars spent on injured players this year in Major League Baseball. I often wonder. It seems common sense to take a strong look at it. So but I guess that's why we're doing this podcast. Yeah. I mean, well, we, you know, that's a good question. And I have some uh, examples here that, you know, ask that question. But um, Dave, I, 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 to be honest, my, my feeling is the term pitching mechanics is, a, is an overused and I'll say meaningless term considering I've never seen it applied. I have never seen it actually applied because, you know, we've talked about it. I've evaluated now close to 550 getting on 600 injured pitchers in the last four to five years. And it ranges all injuries. It ranges elbow, flexor, lat, shoulder, Tommy John, you name it, right? And I have not witnessed one injured pitcher that I have evaluated who has made adjustments in his throwing motion post-injury or surgery, okay? And uh, I've also evaluated, now this is interesting, I've evaluated pitchers because I do research of injured pitchers and I like to see whether they've gone to their team's new high-tech super high-tech pitching lab, right, with all the cameras and all the gizmos. And I then look at their motions prior to and after and evaluate, right? So it appears to me, based on the comments and and what I've read, is that these high-tech pitching labs are assessing their spin rate because um, as far as their throwing motions go, to, to, to quote Led Zeppelin again, the song remains the same. Um, and, uh, I will repeat once again, and this is my favorite phrase of all the motion studies I've done. I would not let a pitcher I work with throw a ping pong ball with these throwing motions that I have seen. So get back to my original question is what do they see? What do they see? Yeah, no, I, it's logical. I mean, that's where we're, we're following the same train of train of thought. Maybe that's that's kind of what we're waiting on. We're waiting on somebody to disagree with you. Well, yeah, yeah, and and to be honest with you know, it, we you know that's it's I I I I try to look think look at things logically and try to connect the dots. Put myself in somebody else's position and go, okay, I understand this. What are they seeing? Because this is what I see, and we'll get a little more specific down the road here. But it appears to me that um, they all pay lip service to the term pitching mechanics, but do little to nothing about it, okay? Um, For what reason? I do not know. That's what I'm interested. I'd like to find out. But for the listening audience, I would think that rings a bell. A lot of people talking, but no one addressing the issue, and no one's looking to solve the problem. Uh, it seems to me that they simply check the box. Hey, we spoke about it. Pitch mechanics. Let's move on. Um, uh, that's that's my impression based on everything I've read, everything I've evaluated. And to your point, the, the billions of dollars that are being lost on injuries and uh, nobody is speaking to the mechanics and how they throw the baseball as being instrumental in causing these injuries. 
Um, so that's that that's that's where it stands with me in a nutshell as far as that goes. Perfect. Well, where do we want to take it from here now? You've done some, uh, obviously, some evaluations. We talked a little bit about some of the the pro players that you wanted to address today. But, um, I mean, do we want to get down to, to Sonny Gray, Mark Pryor? Or is yeah, there- let's let's do that because when when I what what precipitated this or this thought process and kind of tying this together was. <laughs> I, um, as I said, I look at different signings and different pictures and the Sonny Gray thing kind of lit a light bulb because I looked at Sonny Gray's throwing motion and right away I thought Mark Pryor, um, inverted W, late timing, poor arm path, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I, I did some research on Mark Pryor and uh, with his injury history and and then uh, there were some articles once again that I looked at with Radon and Syndergaard, all talking pretty much the same thing about what they see, what they are saying, right? So Mark Pryor's injury history is as follows. 2004 elbow, 2005 elbow, 2006 strained shoulder, uh, disabled list at the end of the season, tendonitis for the third time. In 2007, tears in his labrum, anterior capsule, and rotator cuff surgery, missed the entire season shoulder surgery. 2008, tear of his right anterior capsule required surgery. Fast forward to 2013, tried to come back, um, signed shoulder injury. That following December, he announced his retirement. Obviously, a very talented pitcher who had a uh, was struck by a, a, a series of injuries, which ended his career prematurely. So did a lot of reading, did some research. I always like to uh, look at uh, what were they saying about Pryor's motion? What were the experts saying at the time? So the opinions were all over the place as to whether Pryor's throwing motion was a contributor factor to his arm injury. I go, okay, well, let me look at his throwing motion. Um, but to me, that's not the real issue, but I'll address that in a few minutes. So here's a couple of quotes from the pitcher himself, uh, his manager, a self-professed internet pitching guru, and a former pitching coach and instructor, which I feel is a nice cross-section of experts. So in a 2009 article prior mentioned, there might be some validity to the people who say it's mechanics. I'm not changing. I don't think there's anything I specifically do that has caused my injuries. No one's ever going to be able to tell me for certain that it is either. Okay. That was Mark Pryor's quote. And this is not a standalone quote. I've heard this from many pitchers. I've heard this from many general managers, many people in the room, right? It's never about certainty, as we talked about. It's about mitigation, and it's never about one single factor. It's multiple factors. And my issue is people who look at it through the lens of a single factor. That's not the case in any issue in our life not even close, even though people like to look at issues that way. Right. We well, in a vacuum. It's, it's all, it's, there, there's, a, there's, there's so many factors that come into play. Oh, without and that, a doubt. And, and with all issues, it's, it's the contributing factors. And we talked about this last week and the different weight of each factor and all the pieces of the puzzle are not the same. They're not the same size. And, and I'll refer back to the, the quote, because in order to handle these high forces, pitchers must attempt to minimize forces to the shoulder and elbow through proper pitching mechanics. Attempt, again, I'm going to say is the operative word 
and I'll expound on that in a few minutes. Here's Bud Black, the manager. He's, quote, the anatomy of each person and the architecture of their shoulder, the way that joint works, how their muscles are, contributes to every injury you might incur in your life. Now, that statement is spot on by Mr. Black. That, 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 that's in relative to anything you do in life, right? It's called DNA, okay? But he should have stopped there because he continued. I think he's got a good delivery, Black said. Good mechanics, good fundamentally sound thrower. Okay, let's go back to prior. I'm not saying they're the be all and end all, but they're major league pitching coaches, Pryor said. If something was really wrong, don't you think they change things? As a former prominent pitcher told me, okay, it all depends on what they're looking for, what they're seeing, and whether they can fix. Okay, let's go to the internet pitching guru. And this is, the, this to me, this is the real critical issue. Or the quick, important question on that one. quick question on it. The, uh, <clears throat> so with, with the pitchers now, as we're talking about, and, and we do, we bang on MLB a ton. Um, because the injuries are happening there, but just so our audience understands these, these things manifest themselves over a lifetime. Am I safe in saying that? It's not, not like it just happened there. And is, is it possible? And if I'm wrong, tell me, is it possible to give the appearance of looking okay in terms of mechanics and delivery, but the issues have manifested itself for so long that the, the, the injury is inevitable? Well, I think that it gets back to the comment that um, we spoke about several podcasts ago when I was talking to somebody about this, and they asked me about a pitcher's throwing motion, and they said, wow, he is really fluid. He's not going to get hurt. And I said, fluid's not not, not what you're looking for. Um, I said, it could help. Uh, it, it, it means that there's potentially less stress on the joints, but if the timing is poor, and the phase movements are poor, and you're putting your arm in a position with a severe arm lag, I don't care how fluid you are. I'd rather have a picture with a truncated throwing motion, to use the term, but creates proper phase movements and gets his arm in the right position to be able to maximize his lower half. Now, he possibly could have some problems, but I'll take that picture 100 times out of 100 over the pitcher who looks or appears to be fluid, okay, but has improper timing and puts tremendous stress on his arm. Got it. Well, I think it's a good t- – and I know you had this in your notes too, but I saw this in, in the some of the shots you sent me, but also it made me think of Steven Strasburg, that inverted W that was so in vogue um, – <clears throat> At one time, what what is that? I know it's an audio. Well, th- that's the that's the, the the next two quotes that I was going to speak to, and once again, that speaks to looking at something in a vacuum and making a comment about something as a standalone factor. In that, the the internet pitching guru said Pryor's inverted W, okay, was caused by his upright upright posture and rigidity. That's why he created a inverted W, where you basically create the pitching, uh, the, the arm path with your elbows. So you kind of look like a scarecrow with your elbows up in the air and the elbow and shoulder is inverted. Now, just by doing that, I'm sitting here at the desk, just by creating that inverted W, I can feel the stress on my shoulder. I can feel the higher I go up, the more stress I have on my shoulder. 
And I'm not throwing a baseball 95 miles an hour. Okay. But stop right there for a second. He said the upright posture, which to me was balance and stability, was causing rigidity, which causes prior which caused Pryor's inverted W. If that's the case, then he Pryor throws through the baseball like every NFL quarterback throws a football 45 yards. Okay, so that's an absurd statement. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. because let me give you an example. <laughs> I work with pitchers. I work with over hundreds of pitchers in the last 20 years to get them create a relaxed arm path. Their stability and balance going to the plate, it does not cause them to either create or not create an inverted W. Because what I tell them is that you're not looking to create an arm path with rigid elbows. You're looking to create an arm path with three relaxed hinges, your wrist, your elbow, and your shoulder. Now, to get back to the original definition about minimizing forces, that's the first step in minimizing forces on your elbow and shoulder. How do I create a throwing motion when my arms are silly putty and spaghetti, and I create this nice, big, long whip of a loop, and I have a relaxed wrist, elbow, and shoulder, but I'm leading with the baseball. I'm not leading with my elbow. I could take anybody and tell them to swing to the target, stride to the target, hop to the target. I don't care. I can also have them create any arm path I want them to create. One has absolutely nothing to do with the other. Absolutely nothing to do with the other. Okay. What's rigid to quote this internet guru, is the arm path that Pryor created with his elbow that created rigidity in his arms. That's what was rigid, right? And to couple with that, the former pitching instructor and coach said, I don't believe the inverted W hurts a pitcher's arm. Okay, so stand alone. It may or may not. I'm telling you, sit at your desk, Raise your elbows up in the air and tell me how does it feel? Where's the stress? It's on your shoulder. But that's not the issue. The issue is that prior creating his inverted W, when his front foot landed, the ball was facing six o'clock. Think of it in terms of timing. Where the ball was 170 to 160 to 160 to 170 degrees behind where it needed to be. So when his hips rotated, his arm was coming through. Why? Go back to the definition. To reduce the forces, minimize the forces on his shoulder and his elbow. So I have a picture when I looked at Pryor's throwing motion, and I have pictures of multiple pictures these days, regardless of whether they had an inverted W, a Y, a Z, or a C, I don't care what it is that when their ball, baseball, gets to this, what I call early cocking, right? So I mentioned Pryor's ball when his front foot landed was facing six o'clock. Early cocking is when the ball's facing somewhere between maybe 1045 and 1130, depending, or, or maybe 1215 and 130 if you're a lefty, okay? You can imagine. The ball's flipped. It's actually 180 degrees in the air. Pryor's hips were fully rotated to the target. I tried that this morning. I th thought my shoulder was going to fall off. 
because I rotated my hips as I was striding to the target and I fully rotated so my belly button was facing the catcher. I then tried to take my shoulder and place it back in the early cocking position where the elbow would be facing the center fielder. Now, prior in other pitchers, the elbow is actually facing the second baseman, which is actually putting more pressure on the shoulder and elbow. So after looking at this, go back to my original question. What do they see? What do they see? That, as I mentioned in my first podcast, I threw in the low 90s was clocked at 94. My issue was that I was opening up too quickly. It wasn't keeping my shoulder closed. That picture of prior and other pictures in that similar position is painful for me to look at. I get ghost pains looking at that picture. What do they see? So just just our audience knows it's out we're audio, but uh, Jim sends me pictures, still shots of of these guys, and I was doing the same thing you did as you were describing it. I was leading with my elbows to the to my ceiling here. And I immediately felt not just in my shoulders, but my traps got tight um, when I when I lifted that high. You're saying that as he landed, um, that that ball was um, down still, correct? It was down, cocked behind his back. Should that ball be that should be a, a right angle behind his head? Well, it, like I said, if you, if if it's twelve o'clock, right? If if you're a righty pitcher, say twelve o'clock, and twelve o'clock is above your elbow, that ball is going to be somewhere between maybe uh, eleven o'clock to eleven forty-five, ten forty-five to eleven forty-five. There's some a little more vertical, some a little more towards third base. Same thing with a lefty. That ball is going to be somewhere between you know twelve fifteen and one fifteen, depending on depending on your arm path, right? Gotcha. Prior's baseball was facing the ground yeah, because he led with his elbows. So once again, to the point about, you know, somebody stating, well, the inverted W is not going to injure your arm. It's not, it's once again, it's not one piece of the puzzle. The, 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 the throwing motion needs to be viewed in its entirety. It's, it's the throwing motions. I say this in my video. It's it's like a it's like a it's a sequential series of phase movements, right? And just like falling dominoes, they need to position be positioned properly in order for the last domino to fall. So, in order for prior or any pitcher to be able to let's go back to that definition, minimize the forces on his shoulder and elbow, that ball has to be in a certain position or you have to attempt to get that ball in a certain position throughout your motion to be able to maximize the use of your lower half, which then has the lower half carry the load rather than your arm carrying the load, which then maximizes the force on your elbow, shoulder, lat, whatever you want to call it. So the, the, the arm, the position of the arm upon landing, the hitting, we call it launch, um, that's that's a that's a major red flag for you when you saw that. Oh, oh, it's it's you know one picture, one yeah. picture. Because think about it, your front your front foot lands, your front foot lands, and the ball is at six o'clock. Okay, so now the the motion continues. 
that ball's got to travel 175 degrees up in the air. While you, you now that that's not a standalone motion. The rest of your body is moving. So now you're rotating your hips. And in prior situation, as with multitude of pitchers I've seen, their hips are fully the the ones that are egregious who also wind up having severe lat injuries. The ones who are egregious are the ones whose hips are fully rotated to the target. And that ball and that arm is still in the what they call the early cocking position. So think about it. So now that ball has to travel for all these pitchers. The ball is going to travel for righty. It's going to be it's going to be um, clockwise and then counterclockwise for lefty. It's going to be the opposite. But it's going to the ball is going to travel close to 100 in total, 195 to 210 degrees. And you have no you have no zero lower half timing to support that arm movement and the release of the baseball. So getting back to the definition, so you can minimize the stress and the forces on your elbow and shoulder. Now, this question may lead us into our next guy here, but is past injury, at least, I don't want to say the only predictor, but a good predictor for future injury? If there's no adjustments made and I want to lead into Carlos Rodon. If, if- yeah, let me, if you don't mind, let me let me back up because I'd like to say this because I think it's important because I when I when I hear the comment pitchers don't want to change or they can't change. Um, I think that people don't understand the process or don't understand the process of making adjustments. And, and this is what I mean in reference to prior or any injured pitcher. I mentioned all the injuries he's had, okay? I'm Pryor's pitching coach. This is the conversation we would have had. Hey, Mark, let me show you your pitching motion here. Let me show you these different phase movements and why I think they're impacting your arm. You're not minimizing the forces on your shoulder and elbow. You're maximizing the forces on your shoulder and elbow because how you're moving your body. And and, and, a, and a timing issue between your lower half and your arm. Okay, so that's the first step. That's the first step. Whenever you're talking to any individual about making change or making an adjustment, it's not not just necessarily pitching, right? It's anything. So the first step is I provide him for a reason or give him some thought as to, yeah, I think there's there might be something here. The second step to our Mister Pry or anybody would be. Why are you reluctant to make adjustments? Give me the reason why. I need to understand why somebody doesn't want to make a change. I just don't accept the fact they don't want to change. I don't think anybody wants to change. My wife's trying to get me to change for the last 60 years. It's been a running battle, right? But it's important to understand that you do need to change. And then it, especially if the change or the adjustments can benefit you, that's the important factor. People don't want to make a change because they don't understand the benefits of them making an adjustment. They think it'll hinder them. That's, that's basic common logic. It applies to every aspect in life. So the third step to Mr. Pryor would be, okay, I get it. Here's the consequences that I feel if you don't make the adjustments. Here's the issues you had. If you continue doing the same thing, I will believe, I believe you will continue to have the same um, issues going down the road. 
to quote Einstein, definition of insanity. Or as I like what Martin Hall always says on the Golf Channel, if you keep doing what you're doing, you'll keep getting what you're getting. Okay? That's the third step. Yeah. Fourth uh, step. I explained to Mr. Pryor what the process is. And here's the process. And I do this with 14-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 19-year-olds. We play catch. I go, okay, do me a favor. Make this adjustment. How does it feel? Does it feel good? Does it feel better? What do you think about it? Ah, Jim, I don't like this. Okay, let's let's try this other adjustment. How does it feel? Oh, this one's pretty good. Okay, let's continue to work on this. Okay, we're playing catch. There's no downside here. We're playing catch. If Mr. Pryor or anybody says to me, hey, this feels pretty good. My arm actually feels better doing this. I go, okay, here's what we do. Let's go on the mound and I'll get a catcher. 45 feet away. I want you to throw half speed. Now you tell me how it feels. Oh, this, this, is, this is feeling pretty good. Can I amp it up? No, not yet. I want to make sure you got this down. That's the process. The pitcher is in control. They can continue. They can stop this process anytime they want. So I don't understand. It gets back to what do they think the process is? Or more importantly, has anybody explained to them what they're doing, what the individual sees, what the repercussions are if they change or don't change, and understand why they're reluctant to change? Put the money aside. Put the money aside. Um, but I want to explain that because I think it's important because the process we're talking about here is not an elaborate rocket science. And it's not a process where the pitcher or any individual who's 14, 18, 22, I don't care what age they are. I don't care how hard they throw. I don't care how much money they make. It's a process that they are totally in control, totally in control with how does it feel? How does it impact me? Can I take this to the next step? Sorry, I don't want to take it the next step. Okay, good luck. Okay. If I was talking to Mr. Pryor after his first injury, I would have said, good luck, Mark. You're going to need it. You're going to need it. So can't, with, it can't be any more direct than that. Yeah. You, you make a, a good point. And I think our, the young kids in the audience, it's you're, you're your own pitching coach. You're your best pitching coach. And no matter what you're doing, whether it's pitching, hitting, shooting, school, it's got to be your process and your terms, especially if injury comes into play. I think an issue with may not have been as big an issue back in Mark Pryor's day, but a big issue kids have now is there's such an overload of input that they not only, they, they don't, they have never exercised that muscle of filtering it. So when it's time to be told, shown what to do, they almost follow like drones um, and they don't have that figured out gene in their body that maybe our generation had absent of YouTube and, you know, all the resources they have now, but I, I don't think they have the, the wherewithal. And that's kind of, again, why we're doing these podcasts, the questions that they ask. So I think your four points are important because we're in that lies the communication that our, the kids in the audience and the parents need to have with people that are in front of them, either real or, or posturing as instructors. So um, oh, with, with, with Dave, without a doubt. I mean, I don't want to belabor this point, but when I work with a young pitcher, and, the, and, and a lot of times I'll ask the father to be there, depending on the age, I never discount what anybody's being taught. And, and I've had pitchers who've gone to three pitching instructors, 
And their throwing motions were horrendous. I would never discount or diminish what some, some parent paid thousands of dollars for. But I do approach it this way. Go, what have you been told? Why have you been told to do this? Let me show you what I'd like you to try. How does it feel? Do you have any questions? Does it feel better? Does it feel worse? Let's give it a couple shots. Okay. 99% of the time, if they want to work, they'll go, I get it. This feels better. It feels better. So it gets back to the definition again. I keep on harping about that. Everything I've done with pitchers is based on that definition. How do I get them to throw the baseball to minimize the forces on their shoulder and their elbow? That is everything I do is predicated on that one definition. Yeah. Well, let's, let's move on to Rodon now. We, uh, we, in, you know, if anybody watches Carlos Rodon's career, looks the part, has had glimpses of brilliance, but often injured Tommy John surgeries, had all the, the precursors to more injury, whether it's bicep or back or forearm. Um, what, what did you see when you took a look at him? Yeah, it was him. Uh, the two articles this week that I saw uh, were on uh, Carlos Radon and comments and also Syndergaard because they said Syndergaard was throwing some, some scouts. So the, the article on Radon, once again, let's tie it back to what do they see? Brian Cashman's quote was, I know our guys are excited. The feedback I'm getting is really good. His arm action is good. But right, right there, that's a red flag for me. His arm action is good. Um, Cashman said he looks like he's worked his tail off. I'm very optimistic that Radone can return to form and be the pitcher we know he's capable of being. Okay, good quote from, from, from Cashman. I guess upbeat, positive. So my question is, what form would that be? Um, his eight trips to the IL, um, because his boom followed up and said it's just about him being healthy. It's about being healthy for him. So his Radone's injury history is biceps bursitis 2017, shoulder injuries 2017, 2018, Tommy John surgery 2019, shoulder 2020, shoulder 2021, last year forearm and back 2023. Now I researched. Radon's motion a couple years ago, just out of curiosity when I was doing all this Tommy John work. His throwing motion with the Yankees is the mirror image of his throwing motion with the White Sox seven years ago. So what that tells me is, once again, I, I can only make an observation based on what I see, that both the White Sox and the Yankees staff, if they were focused on Radon's throwing motion, they believe that his throwing motion achieve the goal of minimizing the forces that Radon was placing on his shoulder and his elbow. And I will also include his back. Or door number two, lip service. Hey, we covered the pitcher mechanics. Let's move on and talk about more important issues, maybe like spin rate. Um, I can't speak to what Cashman's guys see, but I will offer, based on my research of pitchers, and the fact that Radon's throwing motion creates a severe arm lag due to his motion timing. My assessment of that Radon is rather than minimizing the forces on his shoulder and elbow, he's maximizing those forces. 
So my observation is if the form that Brian Cashman is referring to is the same throwing motion, I think to your question before, Radon's past injury history may be or should be a concern for the Yanks. Um, Once again, I'll give you the caveat. It's not about one issue. There's about multiple issues. But I would, I'm safe in saying that with Radon's injury history, his, his, ERA, his DNA is not going to carry him through, is not going to carry him through. Um, so once again, my question is, what do they see? Because when I look at Radon's motion and I look at that one picture, I go, that's maximizing the force on his elbow and shoulder. That's all I could say on that. That's all I can say on that. Yeah. No, and, and I didn't realize those two were in the same articles. So the caveat there is the comments are fine if there's recognition that there's been past issues, we'll say injury resulting from whether it's mechanics, timing, whatever it may be. What we're looking for is adjustments, right? I mean, that's. That's oh, the- hey, hey, you know, same thing, same thing with, um, you know, talking about prior with Carlos Fredone. Uh, you go, hey, Carlos, uh, let me sh- let me just here's what I see. Um, let's try something real simple. Let's just play catch. Let me let me try to kind of change your arm path a little bit. So you minimize those forces on your shoulder and elbow. Let me let me change and creates a little more balance in your in your motion. So you minimize the forces on your shoulder level. Tell me how it feels. Uh, Jim, it really doesn't feel any difference. Hey, hey, Carlos, good luck. Or, hey, Jim, yeah, I, I, I'm kind, I kind of feel something here just playing catch. Okay, Carlos, well, maybe that's a good thing. Let's continue. What's that take, 15 minutes? 15 minutes? If, if, let's, let's put the pieces of the, of the financial puzzle together. You signed him for $160 million for six, seven years. He's been, in, been on the IL eight times. He hasn't changed, made any adjustments in his throwing motion. Now, here's the caveat. I read an article that said he thought he did make adjustments, and he said he needed to get back to the way he was throwing. And I'm going, okay, what are you seeing, Carlos? Because the motions that I've seen over the last seven years, when I put them face to face and back to back, it's exactly the same throwing motion. Yeah. I, so with, with, with Pryor, with Rodan, with Syndergaard, the, the common theme has been a little bit of arm lag. Does, and obviously I say a little bit facetiously, um, is arm lag a mobility issue? Is it a timing issue? Is it a mechanical issue? All of the above? I mean... Well, that's a good point because I, when I was researching Syndergaard, because I've done some <laughs> studies on his motion before, and it just that this popped up because he was they said he was throwing the scouts. So I researched an article after his first lat injury. I think it was 2017, 2018. I think it was the 17. The article said that Syndergaard lacked mobility. The educated athlete understands his body. Syndergaard is supplementing his heavy weightlifting with massages, physical therapy, plyometric, and mobility training. He's confident he's found the answers to make sure, as he said, I never have another serious injury again. Okay, two parts there. One is, sure, yes, there could be some, you know, every athlete needs to be as mobile 
and as flexible as possible. That makes sense, right? But when you create that severe of an arm lag with your hips rotated to the target and your elbow behind your head, it puts tremendous stress. It doesn't minimize the stress on your lat and your shoulder and elbow. It maximizes. So yeah, sure. Will mobility mitigate a little bit of it? Without a doubt. Did he have another lat injury? I don't know. Um, but there's tons of people who, uh, pitchers who have had lat, lat injuries in the last couple years, and they all have that same position. So I'm going, do you want to maybe try to connect the dots here? Part two. I don't think he had all the answers because he had Tommy John surgery in 2020. Now, we talked about what they say and how it impacts what youth pitchers see, read, and hear being taught. So this is what, and I researched him after his Tommy John surgery because I read he was rehabbing in Florida, and I wanted to see how he was throwing the baseball after he had Tommy John surgery. Okay, so here's what the um, rehab instructor said, speaking about Syndergaard while he was rehabbing. What we can see him doing is building leg strength with the front squats and the split squats. He's also building a more stable base from which to pitch. Because I love it when athletes have built up a solid foundation of strength and are ready for more advanced arm care. And I will underscore and underline arm care progressions. It's a game changer when an athlete is heavily ordotic, I believe that was the word, or orthopedic, I'm sorry, with downwardly rotated depressed shoulder blades and a flat thoracic spin. Okay? So my question is, arm care progressions, does that include correcting a throwing motion, which creates a severe arm lag, which maximizes the forces on the shoulder, elbow, and lat? What do they see? Now, I understand or I recognize that a strength and conditioning coach might not be in a position or have the expertise to be able to break down a throwing motion. But let me step aside. I've had many conversations and I've started talking to medical doctors and actually talked to a biomechanics specialist at a leading institution, higher education uh, college in California. Every one of these doctors I've spoken to have talked to me or spoke to me when, after I presented my information about the throwing motion and what I believe is the impact on the arm and the shoulder and the body. Their response was always medical. Well, there's an impingement here. There's an impingement there. There's a, there's a, there's a lack of balance in the hips. I get all that. It might be but it is exacerbated. And the main component or factor is not that his hips are a little off balance or his shoulders a little off balance. It's how he's moving his hips and how he's moving his shoulder. So everybody speaks to the issue in their own wheelhouse through their own lens. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily trying to throw the Florida instructor under the bus here. I'm just saying that there's two pieces, there's two sides of this issue. Yes, I need to repair. I need to build strength, fundamental strength. 
but I also need to correct how you're throwing the baseball because I can, I can make you strong as a bull, but if you're doing the same thing over and over and over again, that's maximizing the force on your shoulder and elbow, I don't know if I can help you create enough strength to mitigate that movement. I can't do that. I can't do that. And I, to me, that's what they're trying to do. That's what they're trying to do. So my concern is with youth pitchers, right? If this is what the instructors are saying, if this is what the pitching coaches are saying, if this is what the strength and conditioning coaches are saying, and they're not even addressing in their arm care, arm care progressions, the throwing motion, why should a 17-year-old be concerned about how they throw the baseball? I wouldn't if I was 17 years old. Because there's nothing I'm seeing or reading or hearing or especially being taught after my parents are paying thousands of dollars going, hey, Johnny, you got a high ceiling here, pal. There's some upside, but I'm concerned about this. We need, we need to work on this because you're maximizing the forces on your shoulder and elbow. That conversation never happens. Well, the uh, and I know this is a little, little different than what we've talked about today's show, but it's a theme through our other shows in terms of how long these kids are pitching. You read another article in the athletic, which talked about, and I, I heard Anthony Rendon, who is not a pitcher say the same thing. And our very own Jim Cott, our resident hall of famer, he and I've talked before about Memorial day to labor day, shorten the season. You read an article on that. Uh, expound upon that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it talked about the season being too long, right? So that, that's really interesting. As an aside, I have a comment about that, but that correlates into youth pitchers. And, um, you know, we don't have to go back too far, but when I was playing, you, you played in the spring, you played some American Legion in the summer. I picked up a football in September. I picked up a basketball in, in, in February, and I picked up a baseball in March. Um, and I say this in one of my videos, you can throw the baseball four months of the year and be a, Average pitcher, be a very good pitcher, or be a great pitcher. The other eight months, it depends on what you're doing. Are you supporting that? Do you play other sports? Are you building some fundamental strength? Or are you taking some rest? Okay, if I, I play basketball, I could go in the driveway and I could shoot a thousand jump shots a day. What did, what did Larry Bird shoot 500 foul shots a day because he wanted to be, you know, be a great foul shooter? Tell me a pitcher who can go out and throw 500 pitches a day. Baseball pitching is a very unique sport in that respect. For people who like to work hard, it can be somewhat frustrating because you only have so many throws in your arm. That's just a fact, right? So, so with these kids now throwing all year round, and, you know, we, we'll, we can get into that you're actually exacerbating the problem and gets back to the definition. You're maximizing the forces on your shoulder and elbow, not only because you're throwing all year round and you're trying to impress people, the scouts at the showcases with the radar gun, you're doing it with throwing motions. As I said before, I wouldn't let my pitchers throw a ping pong ball with this. The, the article itself I thought was pretty funny. It was a very good article, but I thought he missed the number one point of the whole reason to shorten the season. My feeling is that they should shorten the season because they need to capture, recapture September from college football. 
Yeah. They've lost Major League Baseball has lost November, October to the NFL. That was a long time ago. And now you can see in the last couple of years with the advent of the playoff system, and now it's going to 12 games, 12 teams, I'm sorry. There's football games in the first week in September where, you know, Clemson, Georgia will get like a seven and a half rating. The World Series got a four last year. So my, my feeling was after I read the article, yeah, I agree. There's, you know, who says you got to play 162? They, all, they only use war to compare players now. So you can compare players who play 60 games or 1,000 games. Doesn't make any difference, right? It's all about war. So why not shorten the season? Okay. End it in August. My, my feeling is it ended August 31st. Play some double headers. Try to take back September from college football. Have the playoffs in the World Series as opposed to having the World Series end at Thanksgiving. Uh, but yeah. that's just my own personal opinion based on what I've witnessed and seen. But to me, that would make smart. That would be a smart thing to do. But as the uh, writer said, Nobody wants to give up the money. And oh, my response is, I get it. Um, you're paying me $40 million. Can I live with $28 million for the good of the game? But then again, it's, it's not my money, and I'm not earning the money. Yeah. That's, just, that's just Jim Colonel speaking. <laughs> De Niro. It's De Niro. What, um, so how, how do we want to leave our show today? I thought a great show, a lot of information for our audience to digest. How do you want to leave our audience today? Yeah, I, I, I'd like to just uh, – Number one, before I finish up, let me uh, let me give you my my book of the week. Um, and, oh, I forgot. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. and uh, oh, you know what? Here's uh, here's a better way. Here's here's how I'm going to leave it with you, um, and I'll give you the book of the week in a second. Um, I did some once again a little research, and I went on MLB and I looked at the risk factors risk factors for injury that they have on the website uh, for youth pitchers. One is overuse and fatigue which they say is by far the biggest risk factor for pitchers is overuse and fatigue. Showcases, which we talked about, you know, pitchers going down there, ramping it up to try to impress the um, scouts in October or, or whatever the case may be. Throwing curveballs and sliders at a young age, I agree. Pitcher, pitcher catcher athletes, um, I'd throw in pitcher shortstop athletes also, but that makes sense because you're doing a lot of throwing. Uh, velocity, injuries are more likely to occur when there was more stress placed on the body. Higher velocity throws place, higher velocity throws place more stress in the shoulder and elbow. That is a fact. So I will get back to all the comments I've made to tie it into the original statement. If you're gonna throw harder, or you're gonna try to throw as hard as you can, isn't it incumbent upon you as a pitcher, regardless of your age, to be able to create a foundation and a throwing motion that's going to not maximize the forces on your shoulder and elbow, but minimize the forces on your shoulder and elbow. And the last one was single sport specialization. So I only bring those up is because once again, they throw in the term pitching mechanics in some of these and say as an afterthought, hey, don't forget, you know, pitching mechanics are important. But there's no definition. There's no emphasis about it. It's just kind of a throwaway, like, hey, I covered it. It's pitching mechanics. Let's leave it up to everybody. Well, golfers and golf instructors don't leave golf mechanics up to everybody. you got a seven different golfing instructors. Pretty much, they'll tell you the same thing. Now, they'll tell it to you differently. Some of them you can absorb easier based on their teaching acumen. 
but they're not making up and letting somebody golf and swing a golf club the way they want to. Same thing with quarterbacks. So, you know, I just thought it was kind of interesting that to the points we've been talking about there, while it's mentioned, it's mentioned as a kind of a throwaway line. And to me, it's not a throwaway line. It's the foundation. It's where it all starts. And it's where all the other factors combine to create the scenario, to create the scenario, whether you have one injury, two injuries, six injuries, or Strasburg, 11 injuries. Nobody, I imagine nobody ever said to Steven Strasburg, um, hey, Steven, let's play catch. I'll, I'll quote the line from Field of Dreams. Steven, let's have a catch. It's the only thing I would have said to Steven Strasburg. Steven, let's have a catch. Starts there. <laughs> Starts there. But what's your book recommendation? Okay, yeah, we're going to change the sport. It's uh, football. Great book. Great book if you're a football fan. It's called The League, How Five Rivals Created the NFL. It talks about Rooney, Wellington, Mara. Um, it talks about um, um, who else was there. Anyway, there's the five instrumental um, uh, individuals who got together to create the NFL. There's some great stories um, it's about their, uh, their camaraderie, their friendships, their fights, their battles, how the league was developed. I thoroughly enjoyed the book. Uh, if you like football, I think you'll enjoy reading it. It's called How Five, how Five Rivals Created the NFL, uh, The League is the name of the book. I like it. I appreciate the show today. I know our audience closing in on 65,000 today. Appreciate your support with the sports podcast of, uh, of the year for Port Sports Podcast Group. Um, I should say baseball podcast of the year we've been nominated for with the sports podcast group and the other organization is the webbies appreciate you guys jaw bats our newest sponsor uh they're going to be the the new the most recent certified bat in major league baseball this year discount if you use rvg at checkout tanner loves his his m110 model is using it lefty and righty jeff fry used it as well down in uh, fantasy camp with the red sox and doubled not quite sure if he got to the wall but he was pretty darn close uh, and uh Jim, thank you for what you do and appreciate your your show today. And I think our newest marketing partner, Millions, picked, they're going to put little blurbs out there now on social media with little pieces of the, the podcast as well. So you gave them a ton to work with. Millions is our new marketing partner out there, going to handle all these companies that are knocking down our door to be a part of the, the messaging we're giving the baseball world out there. 74 countries now is listening. So thanks again, Jim. I appreciate you. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Yep. And that's episode 431, The Arms Race in the Books. Yeah.